Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the pod. We are very excited today to have three guests with us. We have Kim Milbrath, Becky Sechrist, and Sarah Reese. They do public health work in Minnesota. We're going to let them talk to you a little bit about what they do and what they're up against. But we are so excited to continue our public health series because, you know, COVID continues, right? These things are still happening in our world and folks want to talk about them. It's on everyone's mind. And we continue to want to kind of like look under the hood of what is it like to lead in this time in public health? What is that like? What are you facing? What might surprise us? What might, you know, might we know but want to hear more about? So these three wonderful folks agreed to join us today and give us their perspective. It's a U.S. perspective. They're out of Minnesota, which is in the U.S. And so we've talked with some Canadians. We'll talk with some more Canadians. We're going to have a global practitioner on a little bit later. But this is a bit of a U.S. perspective and particularly, I would say, a Midwestern U.S. perspective. And so good to have you with us. Thank you all three so much for joining us today. Thank you. Well, it would be lovely to start by giving you an opportunity to introduce yourselves. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of chomping at the bit with the questions I want to ask, but it seems, you know, slightly rude to dive straight to questions without allowing you at least to say a little bit about who you are and what you're bringing. And I think it would be lovely to hear a little bit from each of you about who you are, but any context to how you work together, I think would be nice. I mean, there's, there's a reason the three of you are on as a crew. So whoever would like to go first, just pop in. Okay, I'll go first. Becky Seacrest, so glad to be here with you Tuesday. And Tim, appreciate you both and the invitation. So I, as mentioned, work at the Minnesota Department of Health. So I'm an employee at the state agency. I've been with MDH for about 10 years, but prior to that worked for a nonprofit public health organization. So have been in public health my entire career, community-based organizations all the way to state service. And I currently have a role as a supervisor in our community health division. And uh, we're sharing the podcast with a colleague who represents a partner from our local public health, part of our public health system in Minnesota. So I think, you know, that is, you know, how we interact in Minnesota and part of our governmental public health system is the state, local public health, as well as tribal public health. And as Tuesday mentioned, uh, yes, we have been through a lot in Minnesota, much like everybody around the world in terms of dealing with COVID and so excited to share, you know, what leadership looks like as we navigate COVID. Thanks, Becky. I'll, I'll go next. We'll go alphabetically. How's that sound? I'm Kim Milbrath, also with the Minnesota Department of Health. I work with Becky and work with Sarah as a partner. I lead our public health practice section at the Department of Health. And I'm actually really new to this particular job. I've only been in my job for about seven months and new to government. My background has really been in working on social justice issues with nonprofits. And my background is community organizing. I have worked in public health related issues. It's been women's issues, tobacco control, things like that. But from a, a different perspective of really organizing and in a lot of ways trying to hold government, the governmental public health system, a little bit more accountable to evidence, but also to what the community wants to see happen. So, and I also have not been involved in the pandemic prior to this. So that's also been a really rude, good and horrible awakening for me. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> I'm excited to be here and have this conversation. Thanks for the invite. Thank you. Thank you. 
And I'm Sarah Reese. I am located in Northwest Minnesota, so just a stone's throw from Canada. And our uh, three counties that I work in, Polk, Norman, and Minoman, I have served as the administrator for just over 10 years and spent my whole career in governmental public health. And I love uh, working with residents and community partners. That's what brings me sunshine and is the highlight of every day. Also, I love the unique relationship that Minnesota has between our state, local, and tribal governmental public health roles. We work collaboratively on a lot of work, both COVID and non-COVID related. So it is a pleasure to be here with you today. In terms of COVID and leadership, I would describe that as grit and grace. Some days Mm -hmm. we have to dig Mm -hmm. deep. We have to say the hard things. We have to look at research and give hard messages. We have to listen to hard conversations because everyone has been impacted in such a different way personally and everyone's lived experience is very different. And then grace. I am a very thankful person. I elude gratitude to residents, partners, decision makers, and I've had a lot of moments of humility. I've asked a lot of hard questions. I've opened up my heart to hear hard things, advocate for hard things, and yet celebrate so many successes because we've had that as well. So I would deter I would say grit and grace. The funny thing as I reflect on leadership related to COVID response is when we started the COVID response, I used the analogy of a marathon. And I said, I've never ran a marathon. I've ran a 5K, a 10K, but I've never ran a marathon. So I don't know what that experience is like, but we're going to go through that together, right? You know, is it mile 13 that's going to be hard? Or is it mile, you know, 19 that I got to dig deep? Or, you know, what does that look like? And recently I was asked if I'd ran a marathon and I said, yeah, about 20. And they said, wow, that's impressive. And I said, well, maybe not in the way that you would think of a marathon in that during COVID, it feels like we've ran multiple back-to-back marathons, both mentally and physically and with our community. If you think of a marathon, that is a group of people going from one destination to the another. And so, yes, I uh, eloquently say I've run about 20 marathons so far. So I'm pretty proud of that. That's amazing. That is amazing. I love the marathon analogy for a couple of reasons. One, I have run them. And after every one, I think I'll never do another one. So just to have run 20 back to back is a pretty big deal. And also Minnesota is is home to two pretty famous marathons, right? The Minneapolis Marathon and Grandma's Marathon, right? Like you all, your state is like known for marathoning. So that's really interesting to hear you use that. And I, I want us to dive into what it's like to lead in a marathon. But I'm going to back us up just a little bit because a lot of our listeners aren't from the U.S. And so when we talk about being part of a state public health department or we talk about the relationship between local, state, and tribal entities in responding to COVID, folks don't necessarily know what does public health mean in the U.S.? What can, When we say public health, what are we talking about? What's the boundary around public health? Can any of you speak to that? I think that's a really interesting question. And I would love to hear what Sarah says and what Becky say, because I'm coming from outside of the governmental system. And in the nonprofit world, we think really pretty much anything that's related to a social determinant of health is public health. I come from a world that's so big 
in defining public health. It's income security. It's housing. It's the ability to get a good education. It's tax base. You know, it's all of these things. And I think, in my opinion, we're having um, a debate about that in the United States and in public health about what is public health? How far upstream do we go in this issue? If, if the idea is that we are there to protect the health of communities, how can you do that if people don't have enough food to eat, can't pay for food or can't pay for safe housing or aren't getting an education that allows them to get a good job that allows them to do those things? So for me, ironically, <laughs> moving into a place that might have a more narrow definition of public health, I'd be interested to hear what Becky and, and Sarah have to say about that. I'll take a stab because Sarah gave me the nod. And I think public health is about populations. I mean, what Kim said, you know, community, how do we, you know, protect the health of the community? And I think one of the challenges that we face as public health practitioners, public health professionals, is that how we define public health, how we talk about public health is very different from how constituencies, the general population sees public health. And I think that is one of the things that we have to work to overcome. And while COVID has presented a ton of challenges, I could use many bad words to describe how I feel about COVID. It has presented a whole lot of challenges, much to what Sarah said. There have been a lot of opportunity that have come to bear because of COVID. We have learned, you know, where the systems that we work within in public health may have shortcomings, may have gaps. And it's given us opportunities to talk about public health with the public. And that is not something we are very good at doing, to be frank. We can get stuck in our, our evidence base, our research lingo. But to Kim's point, it can be about someone not having food on the table. It can be about someone not having a roof over their heads. And we need to learn how to talk more better than that so that our public, our constituencies can understand what public health is because it is very broad. Mm-hmm. That's a really loaded question for me. I think about health and I think about how health varies across the globe. And I am so fortunate to live in the United States, but I've certainly spent time globally. And so in the United States, we are wrestling with how do we define and what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. What does public health mean? And we're in this interesting conundrum because public health in the past, governmental public health, has really been focused on services, one-on-one services, small group services, a nurse and a client relationship, a dietitian and a client relationship. And responding and planning for infectious disease outbreaks. That's been a paramount of the work that we've done, right? And we can't do things the way that we did them 20 or 30 years ago and expect the same result. In essence, we have to put the public back in public health, right? And so to me, as a public health professional, the conundrum we're trying to balance is that individuals still have needs. There are still vulnerable populations. There are still people that have experienced bad luck. There's people that there's synergy between different groups of people that have the same end goal in mind, but they just don't even know because they aren't connected to one another. And so the role of public health professionals is really to see those opportunities for those really service-driven areas, as well as 
to be really intentional as we move forward to look at the population's health and diagnose health with the community at the community level. So it's working with people. In my intro, I'm a people person. That is what gives me passion and drive every day. And to me, public health is working with people and partners in our local communities, across the state, nation, and globe, to use the data that we know, to hear people's lived experience, and to work collaboratively towards goals that impact the health of our community, because we don't know what we don't know. And so I look at health, public health, from really that intentional planning for what's happening now, but also looking forward into the future about health needs. It's fascinating for me to hear the kind of the kind of framing from the three different angles as well, because you're positioning public health as kind of a convener. You're positioning public health as a catalyst. I mean, it's almost like there's so much you want to do that's outside your mandate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, your you, you know your legislated mandate. I don't know what the language might be, but in Canada, you know, and so like there's so much out of because the scope of your desired outcomes is out there, and so that demands a fundamentally collaborative approach. So I feel like, I feel like, okay, I get that. But then there's this piece about like, well, hey, we seem to be living in a society that in many ways is becoming increasingly polarized, right? And not just horizontally polarized between communities, but polarized up and down hierarchies. Suddenly public health physicians and leaders are having to engage in political dialogue, right? Suddenly the opinion of an evidence-based practitioner has a political spin to it. It just blows my mind to think like, well, obviously there's this collaborative capacity you're trying to build, but there seems to be a whole bunch of other layered capacities that suddenly public health practitioners have to be like, yep, I can suddenly do political communications too. And I can do all the behind the scenes chess playing that creates the conditions for us to be more collaborative. And we're doing strategic planning five years out, but actually that changes every single time we talk to one of our stakeholders, right? Like all of that suddenly it's like, what? So I'm a little like, what are the capacities that you're building as public health leaders? Like, what has COVID begun to train you to become in some ways? Has it accelerated something? Has it changed the direction completely? I would say just locally, we are a rural area and we have never been able to operate without the partnership of our community residents and our healthcare, our school, our business, our political partners. So that's been always ingrained in the work that we do. However, there has been some national work around, it's called Public Health 3.0, which really talks about public health professionals as health strategists. And so, of course, there is unique skill sets that you alluded to, the ability to communicate and see those intersections among groups, have those humbling conversations, see those intersections, but it does lead to a workforce that needs some additional or different skills and level setting. And so that is really where we're at, is in that time, really leaning in on our partnerships and also being intentional from an equity perspective. I think the COVID response has really lent an opportunity for us to be very intentional. And I don't just mean in terms of race and ethnicity. Uh, I mean, in terms of poverty or other areas where we can be more intentional about the work that we do, not just for COVID, but for all of our work. 
And I would argue that we have been political. That's been a thing that we've had to deal with for uh, decades. Right. Whether we've done it well all the time is the question. <laughs> because we do come, I think, you know, there's a professionalization of public health that's happened right. that is good because we do use evidence as basis for the for a lot of the decisions that we make. But there's an art to it as well that should be along the science. And the art is all about the politics. Because if you're trying to change the environments in which people live, one of the major ways we do that in the United States is through policy change. And so we have to be engaging politics, political actors to make those changes. And we've navigated it well in some cases. We've done a great job in Minnesota, I think in particular around tobacco. And we haven't done a great job in a lot of ways, maybe around disparities, because we have some of the worst in the country. So I would argue it's been something we've had to deal with. And whether we fully embraced it at times or not is, I think, the question. I think the thing that COVID, though, has done is it has shown a spotlight on public health like we have never had before, at least in today's, you know, general society. I mean, I'll age myself. I'm 51. I've worked in public health for almost the last 30 years and never in my career has it been like this. I mean, the tobacco stuff certainly, as Kim alluded to, has, you know, had spotlight around it when, you know, Minnesota sued the tobacco companies. That was a big deal. There was national news about it, but it, I don't want to minimize it. It kind of felt like a blip compared to what we have been enduring for the last, you know, 24 months in terms of COVID. And so I think that's one of the big differences with COVID is that it's shown the spotlight. And for better or for worse, it's shown the spotlight on the things that we maybe haven't done so well. One of them is good communications. One of them is how do we engage with policymakers and talk about the work that we do. And so, like I said earlier, it's kind of brought the warts to the surface. But if we do it right, it gives us the opportunity to make change for good, change for the people that really need it, those experiencing inequities um, and other challenges. I don't want to focus on the warts, but I do want to ask you all about disparities and inequities. Because I think, you know, one of the things I've heard Becky and Kim talk about, and, and Sarah, I'm meeting you more recently, but I feel like you all have talked about the opportunity for public health at this moment. I just want to say, as, a, as kind of just a citizen, right? I would agree there's never been a time in my life where I've been as aware of public health and the role of public health and the role of public health departments, both locally and state. It's just a whole different ballgame now, right? You have a microphone and also attention in a way that you haven't before. And every single public health person I'm talking to is talking about disparities and inequities. And so that to me feels incredibly exciting. You've got this microphone, you've got this attention, and I do want to hear you talk a little bit about disparities and inequities and what you're finding through COVID and maybe beyond COVID. It just feels worth hearing you talk about that a little bit. I would say just my initial comment is that I think there has been some previous beliefs that good health is really about personal choice, great medical care. And while it is, right, personal choices around sleep, water intake, exercise, mental well-being, the list goes on and on, and having access to great medical care, those are very important to health, but they aren't the sole indicators. They aren't the only indicators. And so now more than ever has been an opportunity to see, feel, touch the larger picture of health 
where we know that health is created where people live, where they work, where they play. And so really this time has has been an opportunity to showcase the opportunities and to engage people in a new way and to have new conversations and to have our own awareness of our lived experience and those that we that we work with, that we serve and partner with. You know, I think so I just moved I'm from Minnesota, grew up here, spent most of my career here and then moved to New York City and to the south uh and more importantly. <laughs> um and lived there for about 10 years and just moved back. And one of the things that I have it's really struck me is the irony of Minnesota. We are considered in the United States one of the healthiest places to live, one of the best places to live. And it's only until recently when George Floyd was murdered that there's an and to that sentence. And it is one of the most unfriendly places to live as a black or brown person. Mm. We don't talk mm. about that, um, mm -hmm. about Minnesota. And I think the racial reckoning that I have seen that feels very different to me, having left the state 10 years ago and coming back, is part of what's driving that, as well as COVID. I mean, COVID is certainly an instigator of that as well. Everybody's just pushed to the brink and maybe we wouldn't have even noticed mm -hmm. what happened to George Floyd if people hadn't been, you know, basically all extra pieces of their life were taken away from them to distract them. It just feels like we have an opportunity in that sense to shift some culture in Minnesota as well as the rest of the country. It's not just here, but um, specifically in Minnesota because those things happened here and we don't have a great track record around health disparities. So feels like we have a different opportunity in that way as well. So I'm going to try and marry the conversation of, you know, what it's like to be a leader in public health and the, the question about disparities. And, you know, working at MDH for the past 10 years, I, there's been an attempt. It's not successful yet, but there's an attempt at a culture shift within the agency to better understand health equity, to encourage staff to do their own learning about health equity. I mean, I'm covered in white privilege. I'm a middle-aged white woman. And I don't know what I don't know because I don't have the lived experience of a black or brown person in a community, you know, that may have issues with, you know, homicide or, you know, lack of food access, anything like that. I have not experienced that. I will probably not ever experience that. But as a leader in public health, what I hope to do is my own learning about equity, about health equity, how I can better understand the perspectives, even if I don't have that lived experience. And what can I do in a state agency of 1,700 people, the vast majority of whom are white, middle-aged people, that we can do more to expand our ability to connect with community at the level we need to connect with them to make the changes that are needed so that, as Kim discussed, we can reduce the level of inequity that unfortunately does not get talked about in Minnesota. For me, it's always been a personal transformation that leads to figuring out or wanting to do a system transformation. Opening yourself up to those experiences and hearing things that are hard to hear and pulling the layers of the onion back for your own identity, for me, has really driven my interest in or my ability to see the system a little bit more. It's like, you know, you see the matrix around you and it's operating the way it's operating. I'm supporting that. I didn't create it. And, and so it's that space of trying to figure out, okay, how do I personally show up in a way 
that doesn't allow the system to continue to operate in the way it just has always operated. And that's so challenging, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, personally and also professionally as as a community, public health community, we have to figure that out. I just so appreciate it's almost like you're ahead of the questions I had. You just you're just going there. I love it. I love how you're identifying this need for the personal, right? And I can really relate to that being who I am, going back and like looking at my own history and like finding my place in history and then finding my place in relationship to those I'm working with right now, you know? And then also like the enormous challenge of that of to like to look squarely in the face at my ancestors and be like, all right. Well, how do I not like give into the shame of that to the point where actually I'm not able to turn up in the way in the world right now in a way that's actually helpful? And so it's almost like we've actually begun to, in the conversation, identify some of the problems, identify, oh, look, and not only that, COVID has like surfaced these problems, you know, and, and we've said, okay, well, there needs to be a level of personal transformation within that. And it's really challenging to take this into a systems change. Can you just talk about what some of those challenges are? Like, how do we lead in that type of environment in a way that doesn't just create more polarization, more fragmentation? How do we not turn up and say, no, actually, you should all be doing it this way. Everybody should be participatory from now on, which of course, you know, 50% of the room's going to hate, right? And so it's like, I just love to hear your perspective on like, okay, yes, this is personal. Yes, I have to own this. And what are the challenges and how do we lead now? without causing more of the same, without perpetuating the very thing we're trying to shift culturally? I have a one-word answer. It's listen. Mm. We need to stop being a group of professionals that tells people what to do. We need to take a step back and listen to what others tell us that they need and figure out how to create a system around that. That's the community that Sarah was talking about. That's the, you know, listening and participating that Kim was talking about with those folks in Minnesota that are having the inequities. We need to do more listening. Becky, that's amazing. Just like a really short story. When we, Rob Strang and I worked together years and years ago around public health transformation in Nova Scotia. And one of the things we did was like interviews across the entire province and then also large gatherings of stakeholders and community members across the entire province. And the single greatest obstacle they identified to the delivery of public health in communities was public health practitioners. And it was because of the expertise they brought to communities as opposed to the curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. And and I remember, you know, talking about things that are hard to hear, right? I remember like how hard that was to hear because there was nothing of that in the intention of any of these public health practitioners. There was just a desire to help. But the approach of help had actually alienated them from the very people they were seeking to serve, you know? And so it was just, it's just amazing. It just mirrored, it just brought me back to that room, standing there, having to present that material to public health practitioners, hundreds of them across the province. And anyway, it just brought me back to that. You know, I I think there's a lot of components here and one of them definitely is listening, but it's also a recognition of power that exists just in how we, how the system is structured. You know, we've been... um, talking about the systems work we're trying to do in Minnesota and creating an environment where we can co-create. Yet we <laughs> often, we just had a meeting where we were like, oh, but we're still setting the agenda. <laughs> as, as, MD, as MDH, we're setting the agenda. Trying to figure out what everybody else is thinking and hoping that we're getting it right in every right. agenda we put forward. Instead of asking everybody at the table, what should we be doing? As an equal partner, we're still holding on to that power and not giving it away. And 
I think because of the way the system has always worked, people don't expect to get power. <laughs> and so maybe they don't know to take it when the, the rare moment comes up where it's, where it's offered. And we all just kind of sit around the table and stare at each other. <laughs> and in Minnesota, we have a particular culture of wanting to, I think, be agreeable and not surface conflict. Oh, come on. It's called passive aggressive. Just name it. Choose uh, <laughs> choose it Midwest nice or something. That you choose, choose, Some uh, people call it Minnesota nice. Yeah, yeah. There we, are. we have PhDs in passive aggressiveness. Basically, everybody does here. That's hilarious. And that's been a challenge, I think, too, is to step outside of cultural, the, the way that we just are here and share that and open it, bring it to the surface. As you all are talking, I feel like I'm so excited to work with you all just to kind of say that out loud. Like I'm like, right on these, like you all, I just want to say you all are the leaders I want to be working with and aware of the complexity of it, because where do you actually take up your power and say things like, no, we will work with inequity, even if most of our community says no right? Or that's not where it is, right? So I live in Ohio, which is a, a red state, but has some real similarities, right? And I think we're looking for our leaders to kind of put stakes in the ground in some ways in the places they can and listen and share power. And like, it's just like this whole mix of like, when do you step up and own the power and use it? When do you step back and let community lead? Like that, this is it has never been as complex as it is in these times, right? It's just like, we always say like, no simple solutions. We have to like, this is a practice. And so I'm curious, you know, Kim, you brought up that word power. And I think it's so important because we don't often talk about power explicitly, especially in our cultures where kindness or niceness is valued. And I think that's a beautiful value. It's, you know, has its real shadow. And I'm curious what you all are learning about working with your own power, either as an organization or as people. And I think we've kind of, you've, you've been talking about it, but I'm like asking us to be explicit about what you're learning about working with power. Well, I can, I can speak to that from my own personal experience. So I've been a supervisor, you know, for the last 15 years of my career and in a state system, supervision is very hierarchical, you know? It's you have a supervisory hierarchy so that the performance reviews get done and timesheets are approved and all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. So that's the practical implication of being a supervisor and being a leader. But for me, going back to the word power, it's about sharing power. People on my team know more than I do about things. And I need to be willing to admit that because if I don't, then I'm taking their power away from them. Mm -hmm. And I think as a society and as a profession, we need to get to the point where we can admit that even though you don't have that degree or you haven't been working in public health for the last decade, you actually know things. And so it's taking that, what, what I do personally in terms of supporting my team and recognizing that they know more than I do and figuring out how to take that out into the community and frankly get more people to act like I do. I would say one of our models here at our public health department is that we hire great people to do great work and be leaders. Community work is with people and community work requires leadership and requires people to be humble, to be curious, to look for synergy, 
And we are really intentional about the team and about everyone's area of expertise because health is across the lifespan. It doesn't start and stop. It takes lots of on and off roads. And so we are really intentional about our team. And we're also really intentional about being in the community, being part of the solution, seeing the synergy, offering our expertise and guidance, but being part of the solution day to day, having hard conversations, asking hard questions, and yet seeing some of the excitement and synergy and opportunity that's out there and bringing it to life with our partners or cheerleading, right? If we have individuals and partnerships that we can support, whether that's behind the scenes or verbally or policy-wise, we want to provide the level of support and partnership that makes sense for the topic at hand. And so sometimes we're the leader, sometimes we're the follower. And it's our ability of ourselves and our team to know what role they're playing. And Sarah, can I just push just a little bit on you? Because you are the person on this call who leads in a rural area. Sure. And I'm wondering if there might be anything specific to the rural context that we would need to be considering around power or an equity. I just really curious because I, you know, like I said, here in Ohio, just, I can, obviously most of our states have an urban rural divide and I want to make sure we kind of get that really specific context you're in on what's needed in our rural areas and what you're learning about power. Who are, right? Like who are the disproportional groups? How are you doing that if the population is very small? Was that What does that look like working across three counties instead of kind of one located area? I'm just curious. I just know that you're bringing this rural expertise and I'd love to hear, hear it out. Sure. I think each area is really unique to themselves. So I really can only speak to Northwest Minnesota and the area that I work in. I don't think it's fair that I make a generalization about rural health. But for Northwest Minnesota, Public health professionals have always been and are highly effective problem solvers. So we have to take a pause and say, who needs to be at the table? Who needs to be at this conversation? Who do we need to reach out to? Who should be engaged? And we have to have a really open lens and be thinking about who should be part of conversations that maybe historically hasn't been going to our clients who have lots of lived experience and having conversations with them. We in rural Northwest Minnesota do a lot of what I would call connecting the dots. And so that can be really good because I wear a lot of hats. I know a lot of the people to connect the dots and I'm very intentional to continue to expand that network and use my power to bring other people into that network of connecting the dots. I'm very intentional about X person, please meet Y person, and you have a common goal, interest, etc. Because there's friendships, there's trust, there's that element of trust is there. And so I recognize that I have a really incredible opportunity to connect people and the dots. Um, And so I do a lot of that 
And I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for myself and my peers to continue to expand our network. As was said earlier, you don't know what you don't know. And so our agency is really intentional about being in the community, learning about the constituents and residents that we have in our community and being seen, Uh, not necessarily being heard, but being seen in our community. So I think connecting the dots and connecting people in a way that's meaningful uh, has been important, but the dynamics are different everywhere you go. So I think part of public health's role is, is to be strategic as well, to really be strategic to build that foundation, right? Because the house doesn't stay erect if it doesn't have a good foundation. So whether we do that locally or across the public health system, that foundation of connecting the dots and the people and the systems and the policy are really paramount because if I'm not here in 10 years, I want those connections to still be there. Exactly. I just wonder if your experience as public health leaders, I mean, I think more than 24 months, you know, I wonder if there's things we can extrapolate from your experience that could be applied to bigger issues that we're all, that we're facing in various other parts of our society and world, like climate change, for example. Like, what are we learning from how we're engaging with COVID that could begin to help us address some of the massive conundrums we're just facing as a species right now? Are there things that you can just begin to distill and I, you know, it's hard because you're still in it, but like, are there things, you know what I mean? Are there things you can begin to distill? I haven't been in it in managing it. I think there's a, you'll get a more specific level of that from, from Sarah and Becky, but I think these things hold true regardless of the issue is we need to meet people where they're at. As you know, as Sarah was saying, we need to meet them where they're at and develop a relationship and in relationship have the give and take. Sometimes I will lead, sometimes you will lead, sometimes I'll be incredibly wrong and you're going to hold me accountable. And sometimes you're going to be incredibly wrong and I'm going to hold you accountable. But we've built a relationship amongst ourselves. We see the connection between my success and your success. And we are bought into both of us having success, right? It just feels so polarized now. Nobody, people are willing to let whole communities just shrivel and die, you know, on the vine. I think that's because we lack connection with each other in really figuring out we all have to move this together. And if we don't do that, we're going to have some dire consequences on a whole host of things that are going to impact our everyday lives, every single one of us. While it may be later that I feel it because I'm an upper middle class white woman, I will feel it at some point. I think through COVID, you know, and the COVID response, uh, I was knee deep in the COVID response. Many of our state employees, well, at least half of our state employees got redeployed. So instead of doing the work I was doing pre-COVID, I got put in COVID. And I led a team of people that worked directly. It was called the public inquiry branch of the response. So we were taking phone calls from the general public about COVID. How long do I have to quarantine? You know, what are the symptoms? Uh, When should I call the doctor? Eventually, where can I get my vaccination? Why can't I have my vaccination yet? Why am I not prioritized? All of those kinds of things. And I think the thing that came through to me, which I think we knew was a system gap in Minnesota, was the ability to share data. And we in Minnesota are not as good at that as we should be. We knew that early. 
And I think through the COVID response, we have gotten better at sharing data. We've gotten better at sharing COVID data. Let me caveat that. We've gotten better at sharing COVID data, but we are not sharing other data. And that is an opportunity that I think if we can learn how to share data between our local public health system and MDH, between our tribal public health system and MDH, that could have a very long-term impact on many other topics, whether it's climate change or um, things related to environmental health other topics, cancer, heart disease, all of that kind of stuff. Local public health agencies give MDH a lot of data. Do we give it back as well as we should? No. I may have an unpopular opinion if any of my peers listen to this. (laughs) But it's the truth. I mean, and that's one of the areas. I mean, we are known to be evidence-based, but if we have evidence to share, why aren't we sharing it? Right, Mm. right, 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 right. And why isn't that relationship reciprocal? Why is there a greater emphasis on going to the center rather than the center distributing its knowledge like, and the power relationship embedded? And I think, you know, pick your topic, right? pick your challenge in the world and look at whether that relationship between the kind of the central power and those who are then impacted by those decisions is reciprocal. I would say it's a journey because there is both an opportunity, right? Just that Becky alluded to around topic du jour. There's also been an immense amount of intentionality that this has to be a priority. And so in Minnesota, we are working on what are the most important infrastructure things. Like if we do nothing at else, if we're going to have a building or a house or whatever metaphor you want to use, if we have, you know, our system, we need to have the data in place. But we have been working on data for years and years and years. But this really shows about what is the mutual goals of all of the people that might need to utilize this data. And so it's a great opportunity as we go forward to really take a deeper dive into data. In terms of infrastructure, though, again, topic du jour doesn't matter. Uh, maternal child health, chronic disease prevention, climate change, COVID, you name it. There are a few things that across Minnesota we have recently named. We have said we have got to continue to be intentional and prioritize around our communications, around data and epidemiology, continue to invest in our community partnerships because every response is local first. Uh, and certainly, Underlying all of that is health equity that we've been talking about. So we are moving in the right direction and we're taking things that have been successful and building on opportunities for the future. And that's what I'm really excited about. I think you made a great point there. I'm just going to add this because I know you want to say something Tuesday, but systems act the same way. What comes out of them? I mean, you can apply it to any topic, but they act the same way and they, they hoard power. And that's what they do. That's what a system, we all participate. We're maybe supporting it in different ways that we don't always know about, but we didn't create these systems. The people on the planet right now did not create these systems. We just continue to maybe not chip it away at them like we should, but they all do the same thing. You know, we just need to remember that. <laughs> right. And, and that they're built for self-preservation. Right. They're making us act the way that we should be acting. They're getting the results you want. This is what we're up against. But it's work worthy of people like us, I feel. Mm -hmm. And I think the first step is talking about it, acknowledging it, and having the, for lack of better words, group effort 
to acknowledge the need and what do we desire for the future. And that's where we're at in Minnesota. And I think it's a really exciting time in that way, even though we're in a really hard time still amid the COVID response amongst our other health work, of course. Right. None of that has stopped as well, right? Correct. And so one of the things we ask folks to do, and so just any of the three of you, certainly not all three of you, is often we ask for a quote that's kind of guiding your path right now or a poem that kind of gives you sustenance to share. And it's okay if you need to like pause and and look, do a Google search. But is there any quote that's kind of has you on fire right now or a poem you might want to share? And we only need one. So it doesn't- It's in your back pocket, you know? Yeah. 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 Anything come to mind? I had a quote that I used on my, in my last job. It was down under my email. So I saw it every day. It was something about, it's not that we don't have the knowledge to change. We don't have the will to change. It was like a, a go. It wasn't Van Gogh, but it was like a ghost. <laughs> I'm not saying this person's name right at all. But it was all about this idea that we have the knowledge to change. We know what we need to do, but we don't have the will. I love it. Goethe, G-O-E-T-H-E, right? Goethe. Yeah, yeah. It was reminding me that it's not about the knowledge that I sit with. It's about what I do. Mm. Mm. Love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And so I feel like we're talking and a group here that has a lot of will to change. And so just like hoping, you know, we can kind of, I was thinking about it's like kind of link arms with other folks who have that will, right? And move the needle and in the way that we can in our lifetime, right? This is long-term work, but it doesn't absolve us as responsibility toward to it. Thank you all so, so much. It was great to have you on the podcast and uh, we'll be, we'll be in touch. We'll be in touch soon. It's so good to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. Thank you.